0: Welcome to the Redeemer Lincoln Square Podcast. Our church began in 2017 and is located just down the street from Lincoln Center in the Lincoln Square neighborhood of Manhattan. Our podcast will primarily feature sermons from our Sunday worship service and the occasional interview or ministry resource. We hope you'll subscribe. Now, here's today's message.
1: So, the scripture uh, reading is coming from Galatians chapter 4, uh, verse 19 to 28. Galatians chapter 4, verse 19 to 28. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as the result of a divine promise. These things are being taken figuratively. The women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother, for it is written... Be glad, barren woman, you who never bore a child. Shout for joy and cry aloud, you who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now you, brothers and sisters like Isaac, are children of promise. Amen.
2: Thank you, Joe. If you are just now tuning in to our live stream, or tuned in after we started, we're glad that you're here with us. Um, you'll see on our website, you can access our bulletin, our connect brochure. Uh, you also see there details about how to engage Deeks upfront and um, after the service, and also uh, Q&R. We're gonna do Q&R um, like we normally do. Q&R stands for question and response. There's a phone number there if you have questions you wanna ask. You can ask questions not just about the about, just not not just about the service or the sermon, but just in general. Um, we're here. We're going to spend a couple minutes uh, after the service to to work through those. Uh, before I start the sermon, I just want to take a couple more minutes on this. Um, please know uh, that we're going to be reassessing our decisions on a weekly basis. I mean, uh, you need to know that for the foreseeable future, we're going to be uh, using this live stream on a every Sunday, and we'll have weekly pastoral and elder updates about um, how we're going to go forward and how we're going to care and love and and be with each other. Uh, Thank you for understanding and having patience in this uh, season together. We've never done this before. You've never done this before. As I said earlier, we don't have all the answers. I think we've had the illusion of certainty for such a long time uh, because of the regularity of our lives, and that regularity for a lot of New Yorkers, and I think it's coming for the rest of America as well, it's already happened r- worldwide, it has been broken. And the truth is, we, there was never that certainty anyway. Life is uncertain, and we feel that now more than ever before. So we need to figure out how to channel this low-level anxiety that is increasing. Not to turn in, but to turn out in prayer and care and love. Uh, there are so many different ways to do this. We recently, you should have gotten an email if you're part of our email distri- distribution list, uh, doing a program here at Redeemer Lincoln Square called Are You Okay? How Can We Help? Um, it's a very simple program. If you just click the link and you can fill out the form, you're able to um, uh, let us know how we can reach out and help you, whether it's groceries, whether it's prayer, whether it's, it's other uh, other needs and concerns. So please use that. That's one way that we can actually stay connected. Also, um, there actually are a lot of other caretaking Uh, places throughout the city that right now that are in desperate needs of of volunteers i was talking to hope for new york and a lot of their affiliates because of social distancing they've lost those volunteers and we need to figure out the wisdom about in balance between staying away from each other and really for the care of our people but also to care with some of the most marginalized and needy in our city please be prayerful about those things and at least pray for these affiliates who have been negatively impacted by uh, this virus And let's consider how we might serve one another in love, in the name of the one who loved us as well. I really do believe this can be a great moment for our church to renew its vision and its mission. Right now we're worshiping, we're worshiping together. That's part of our mission and vision. But we're all supposed to come together, and we're going to have to get creative about that. Whether it's doing it by distance like this, whether it's in super small groups of prayer, whether it's, it's digitally or telecommunications, we need to come together, and as we already mentioned, we need to go out, and we need to figure that out. History has shown that Christians in modes of crisis like this, we don't go, we don't go further out, we go further in with each other. And this version is going to be no different than that, to renew, to, to um, be salt and light out in the world. If you're listening to this and you're not a Christian, uh, we're so glad that you're here with us. Use this time to question your beliefs. Where, where are you going? Where have you come from? If you are a Christian, though, now is the time to use that faith in practice with your habits and your actions. Um, if you're anxious, tell it to the Lord. If you're in need and need others' help, tell us. Tell tell, tell tell us so we can help each other. And if you're ready to go out, may God direct you in your endeavors. Let's start uh, today's sermon. As You already r- heard the text re- um, read by Joe. And um, it's a really interesting text. Particularly because this week we've been reeling from the implications of the COVID-19 contravirus, coronavirus. We've been practicing social distancing, uh, which is literally uh, doing what we're doing. It's literally what we're doing right now through live stream. Uh, We're doing it because we're in a space, in a societal point of view, where we're trying to protect the weakest members of our community. Um, But I think this is actually exposing a contradiction in our culture right now. And let me try to detail it for you. Our American pride is built on the level of autonomy. We like the idea that we have individuality and the ability to choose and do what we think is right for ourselves. This is you do you. And yet at the same time, the very fact that we're giving up our freedoms right now for the sake of others, because we know it's the right thing to do, that even though it's hurting jobs, it's hurting uh, our ability to eat and live. It's showing that you actually can't you do you. And therefore, um, that's a contradiction. One article I read uh, just this past week, here's the title of the article. Young and Unafraid of the Coronavirus Pandemic, Good for You, Now Stop Killing People. And it's an interesting article title because it's showing that there's the, the tension. And ironically, the title is trying to shame people into doing the right actions, into caring for people. Why? Because sometimes the right thing for society is actually not the best thing for the individual. And yet, guilting people into it is not going to make them more virtuous. It's not going to necessarily change or stop behaviors. And so we're at the essence of this moment right now. We have a public health crisis going on. How do we care for others? Why do we care for others? How do we motivate ourselves when we don't necessarily care for each other? I think today's passage goes right at that. It might also be the most difficult passage in the book of Galatians because the Greek makes it hard to parse exactly what Paul might be trying to say. Paul, though, is trying to speak to a certain group of people. The context here matters and can help us. He's talking to individuals who had become Christians, and yet they're being told, yeah, 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 good, believe in Jesus, but then you have to obey the law to be saved. And Paul's whole book is trying to say, no, actually, Jesus already saved you. Now you might want to obey the law. And that distinction, as subtle as it is, is, has every implication for us in how to live out our lives. And so actually what he's saying is actually pretty scary. You can call yourself a Christian. You can think you're a Christian. You can act like a Christian. You can do, want to do deeds of service like a Christian. You can try to pray like a Christian. And yet it's possible that you might actually not be a Christian. And so I think the reason why is because you don't get Paul's trying to say because you don't understand the central point he's been making. So today, what we need to do, particularly in our moment that we're in right now, we need to ask the question: What does it mean to be a Christian? And so this breaks down in three parts: What does it mean not to be a Christian? What does it mean to actually be a Christian? And then how do you might how you might actually know? So let's do that today. What does it mean not to be a Christian? What does it mean to actually be a Christian? And then how do we actually know? So first. Let's look at what, it, it, what being a Christian isn't. And look at verse 21. A couple verses in, Paul says, okay, you guys want to be under the law? Do you even know what that means to be under the law? The text says, tell me. This is what it says. Are you not aware? He's saying you don't get it. You're blind. You think you know what it means to be a Christian, but you have no idea. And to prove it, Paul goes to a very familiar ex- uh, example he likes to use. He went back, he's going back to the life of Abraham. This is like the eighth time he's done it in the book of Galatians. And in this case, now he's going to go to Genesis 16, where God has promised to Sarah that you're going to have a child. And even though she's childless, even though she's late in age, God is saying, hey, remember the promise I've given to you. Now, you need, again, we have to put ourselves now into Sarah's shoes. Sarah back then, as a woman, her identity was tied to the amount of children that, she, that, that you can produce. The more children you could have, the richer and safer you would be. The more children that you would have, the more food you would have because more people to work the land. The more children you had, the more protection that you would have. More people who could actually rise up and keep you safe. Now, if you think that's regressive, it applies to, to men as well. The man's worth was in what he could produce in farming. And therefore, the more... Since farming was physical, the bigger that you were, the stronger that you were, the more powerful that you were, the more money you would make, the more protection you could give, uh, the more chances of, that, that you might have to live a productive life, worldly speaking. And I think that's the, that's the point, is that the world has always said your worth is tied to what you produce. And now today it might not be measured as much in babies or physical strength and size, but we still have this. And these cultural paradigms of production are actually spoken about in the Bible, and the Bible never condones them. If you're not a Christian listening in, you need to say, see that when the Bible explains and gives these examples of how the culture values production, it actually puts stories in there to subvert those paradigms. Think how often the Bible uses what the world says is shameful, the inability to produce children in this case. Go through the stories. God uses who? Sarah. Hannah, Rebecca, the mother of Samson, uh, Elizabeth in the New Testament, countless others. He uses these women to show the world that the values that we've placed on ourselves, that you yourself might have put yourself under, are actually wrong. I think the coronavirus has done the same thing. All this social distancing, even for one week here in New York, it's nerve-wracking because the world has told us that we need to produce and has given us the valuation for that, and by definition, now we can't produce. And as a pastor, I feel as myself, I think I've unknowingly made myself under the paradigm, under the law of production of being a pastor, and now, literally, we can't do that. And so go back to this context. Back then, you were measured by how many babies you could produce, and there was great shame for Sarah. And in Genesis 16, Sarah comes along and therefore suggests... In shame that maybe Abraham and Hagar should try to produce a baby. And again, the Bible doesn't condone that, but what it's actually but you have to understand the context this is life and death we're talking about. No baby, no production, no life. There is no social welfare system that if you have no family, no, there is nobody, nobody who's going to be taking care of you and, um, in your old age. Uh, no baby meant no food, no, no protection. And so when God looks at Sarah and Abraham and says, I want you to have a son, but through faith, through the ways and means that I plan, that was a direct contradiction of the cultural forms of production. Having a son through Hagar, somebody who could have babies, took no faith. So what Paul is trying to do here, if you go back into our text, He's trying, to he's trying to figuratively use these two individuals. This is in verse 24. He actually says that. Let's look at them figuratively. And he, he's comparing and contrasting them. He's saying Hagar is, an, is the law. And then Sarah, who's 90 and um, is unable to produce, she, that is a sign of God's efforts through faith. So Paul is saying two covenants, two promises. One is Mount Sinai and the law in the present city of Jerusalem, but then you have Sarah, who is through faith in the heavenly city of Jerusalem. So here's what, how this gets offensive, is that these people were, who were religious Christians, they assumed that they themselves were Sarah. They were the good ones. They were the ones that were going to be used. And I think a lot of times we do the same thing. We think we're people uh, that God is going to use and that we believe in God and um, we have faith. And Paul is saying, no, 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 no. Your faith is still trying to save yourself. That's what's what's going on when we're fighting over toilet paper in the supermarket, when we are thinking of ourselves only and our own provisions and what's next for us. This actually, and here's how it gets really dark. You could know that as a Christian, and yet you tend to judge other people and how they're managing the crisis, and you're looking down on them. That's still a form of actually saying, I know what's best. Being a Christian then can't be trying and striving to live whatever good life because the truth is everybody is trying and striving to live a good life and it's just not working, and it's it's breaking us down, and the and our our cultural moment is showing that I am so tired. We're so tired. Why? Think about all the things you're trying to manage right now. For me, I'm tired of hoping people like me. I'm tired of hoping that I have enough money in my bank, that my kids are happy, that my kids are going to be safe, that I'm living up to being a good son, a good husband, a good friend, a good boss, a good pastor, a good uh, a, a, a good person. See, here's what I'm trying to do. I need to rest. I'm so tired. But I don't want to rest too much because that would be lazy. I need to work. But I don't want to overwork, but I shouldn't underwork. So I need to work the amount that's right. I need to care for people. I don't want to overcare for people. I don't want to undercare. Do you see how many levels that are inside of you, that are inside of me right now, balls that we're juggling, and it's making us tired, not just physically, but emotionally, spiritually, cosmically. I can't do enough. You can't do enough. I can't husband enough. I can't friend enough. I can't love enough. Whatever it means to be a Christian, then it's not using these systems, these apparatuses Of evaluation to live the good life. You can't do it. I can't do it. And so before we move on, here's what you need to realize. When God looks at Sarah and says, I know you have no children. I know the world is saying you're supposed to. The world's saying you're supposed to produce, and I know you're filled with shame, but you need to trust me. I have a promise for you. He's saying the same thing to you. I know that right now you're you're discombobulated. I know right now that you don't have that certainty that you thought that you had. I know right now that you don't know how you're going to provide and feed and live. And he's looking at you and saying, I want you to trust me. I have a promise for you. The question we need to ask ourselves is, will we trust him? Will we trust him when the markets go down? Will we trust him when we're not sure how we're going to be able to care for ourselves and others? Will we trust Him when our our houses don't sell? Will we trust Him when it feels like the whole city has stopped? Where are the places in your life right now that God's asking you to trust Him? Say, I have a promise for you, and you have to ask, am I going to listen to that promise, or am I going to try this evaluative tool that I've always been using? Because that's not what it means to be a Christian.
0: At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after our Sunday worship service. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastor and other members of our church community. If you have questions about today's message, send an email to lsq at redeemer.com or join us for our Sunday worship service. Now, here's the remainder of today's teaching.
2: All right. Secondly, if that's not what it means to be a Christian, then what does it look like to be a Christian? Go back into our text. Paul says the answer for us. He spends a lot of time trying to show this contrast between Sarah and Hagar, the two sons, the two covenants, the two promises, the two cities. And then he says, very quickly, it almost gets snuck in. He says, if you want to know what it looks like to be part of the heavenly city, it's allowing it to be your mother. This is a powerful imagery in verse 26. Because, Allowing this city to be your mother this is a designation. This is an identity movement. that notice it doesn't say, "She will be your mother." Paul speaking, in the past tense, he's saying, "No, she already is." And the key is, are you going to let it, that fact, affect you and change you and move you? And this is where I find Paul really interesting. He doesn't just try to give us more information. I know what he moves to. Poetry. He starts quoting poetry from the Old Testament. It's an exact quote of Isaiah 54, 1. And the first words here say, be glad. It's actually uh, too mild of an English translation. Hebrew, Hebrew, it means rejoice. It means cry out in joy, to shout. So let's go through it. Be glad. Who? O barren woman that you who never bore a child shout for joy and cry out loud because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has no husband. Now, I know this is going to be really hard for us because I think a lot of us right now, we don't feel like shouting for joy. And yet God is talking to, in this context, he knows society has a valuation system. And back then, Sarah was not producing a in that. And what he's saying to her and he's saying to us, if you rely on your own human ability, you might be able to produce children naturally, but you also might not be able to produce children. But with him, with God, no matter, no, whatever your worldly production is, you will have more children than possible. And so what God is trying to do here is he's undermining that whole system. Let me try to give you an example of this. best example I know comes from Uh, another pastor who years ago talked to the second pastor ever at a a largely African-American church in Harlem called Bethel Gospel Assembly. It was founded in 1916. And it was founded after two African-American girls received Christ as their Savior from a German woman named Lillian Krager, who was doing a Bible study with them. And they were so moved and changed, they wanted to join a local church, and so they came downtown to try to join her church, and that church refused membership of them because they were black, and so these girls said to Lillian, I said, hey, will you hold Bible studies for us up in Harlem? Will you do this with us, not just for ourselves, but for our friends? And as she was considering this, the man that she was engaged to pulled her aside and said, I'm not happy with who you're fraternizing with, If you go ahead and do this I will not not only will I um, you know cancel the engagement nobody else is gonna want to marry you either and the question is is what do you think she should have done this is 1916 she clearly wanted to be married clearly that was the expectation of her society and she was in the middle of this working through what the world wanted her to do to be productive and she felt stuck. She was worried about her future. And she, she, so she went into Scripture, and she was praying, and she came across this exact passage, Isaiah 54.1. And she read more of the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. And she knew at that moment that she was going to be single. She probably didn't know it was going to be forever, but it turned out to be forever. 1916. At the time, she didn't know it, that because of her efforts, a new church was born that now thousands of people have been through it. So she never had children. Oh, but she had children. Thousands. And so you need to see what God's point is here. We can actually be glad. We can shout for joy and cry out loud because it doesn't matter if you've been married or unmarried. It doesn't matter if in your life you're going to be productive or unproductive based on what the world says. It doesn't matter if you're a success or a failure. If your world has been blown up this past week, if you've blown up your own personal life, how do we get through this? If you don't know what is going to come in your life, God, is actually, God has the audacity to look at you and say, guess what? You actually can be glad. There's a command. Rejoice. Shout for joy because your citizenship is in the heavenly city. And if she is your mother, your designation is, sh- is secure. Is secure. And therefore, you can freely and fully be accepted by grace. And this comes through Christ. And if that's true, then you already have lots of children. Maybe not in the way the world thinks of success. Maybe it won't be, be through a large family. Maybe it won't be through your success and everybody liking you and everybody, everything running well and working well. But if we rejoice and rely on Him, we have a family and children and life. Whatever dark secrets that you possess, whatever you haven't done enough of, whatever it is, if you failed the world, please, whatever you do, don't say, you know what, I'm going to try harder now. I'm going to really buckle down. That's Hagar. That's try- that is not living by faith. That's, try- that's trying to come up with your own system of reality, which we've done so much. And there is a moment right now where we could actually be pulled off of that program and pulled into here, all you have to say is, I have nothing. I have nothing but need, and I need you more than I have ever needed you before. And the truth is, the minute you can say that, the minute you've actually already been accepted in that family. A Christian is one who just receives that grace, and therefore the only thing left is singing, rejoicing, being glad. Here's how this might be able to be pushed into your heart. Go back to our first verse, verse 19. Paul here says, My dear children, never had any children. He didn't have a family. He didn't have a wife or kids. How could he say this? Paul didn't even have a home. Before he was a Christian, he had prospects. He was he had public acclaim. He had a career. After he, had, he, he was a Christian, he had nothing. But you know what? He had a family. Paul didn't have any children, but he had children. Lillian Krieger didn't have any children, but she had children. She didn't have a marriage, but she had more than a marriage. This is saying all the things that the world says is lost will actually become gain in him. You might say, hey, I have to make money, I have to make, mo- I have to make money, but oh, more is the wealth of the destitute man or woman than he or her who owns a hedge fund. If you want to go out on mission, this is the secret, this is the engine we've been talking about. This promise and rest that you already have, even when the world says you have not. And so the last point, how do we know? How do we get this? How do we make this real? The secret comes back to our homes, where our r- real home is. I think we've been under the delusion a home is a, is a geographical location. And here's the irony of this past week for at least those in New York with the coronavirus. A lot of us have been mandated to stay at home. Home is supposed to be a place where it's restful, where we can fill up again. And, and yet, when it's been mandated that we have to stay there, it's not restful. It's been hard. And Paul, I think he knows this because he knows that home is not a place. It's a people. It's nice cognitively to say, you are children of the promise. This is verse 28. It's nice to say, uh, your citizenship is in heaven and not the earthly one, but it gets down to being, it gets down to this singing and this rejoicing and being glad and shouting for joy. Why? This poetry is here because if you play out the full scenario, it means God, the God of the universe is our Father, and not just our Father, He's our Husband. That He is our true spouse, and that He's our comfort ultimately, that that we can make our home with Him. Jesus is not just our King. He's our lover and provider and spouse. We see this in Ephesians 5, probably... Uh, the best pastors that tells us that the marriage relationship is supposed to be the exact kind of relationship God wants to have with us. It's that level of intimacy. It's that level of closeness. It's that level of of oneness that then nothing can break. The world will tell you what you're worth, but what this is saying is, our identity is not in something that you do. It's in some. It is in someone that you are in relation with. It's with Him. It's how much you're loved. What if our identity was achieved and not re- is, is not achieved, it's received? Let's go back to what I mean by a healthy marriage. I think this is important. That I think it's important to do this. Your whole life, the world, in a healthy marriage, this is, this is how it works. Your whole life, uh, you can be told that you're ugly, that your nose is too big, that your your eyes are too droopy. I don't know, whatever it is. And the world can point out that feature and that flaw and say, fail. can say, fail you're not acceptable. And yet if your spouse comes into your life and knows everything about you and goes to that point, that part of you and kisses it and redeems it and says, you're beautiful and you're beautiful to me and I love you and you're wonderful, that changes you. And the reason why is that the world knows you, but nobody knows you as well as your spouse. And so the world says, hey, you're a selfish person. You only care about yourself. And yet your spouse who knows you to the depths of your soul has seen every last aspect of you and can look you in the face and say, no, actually, out of all the people in the world, I know you're the least selfish person. That can, that's going to reprogram you. That's going to change you. And if your spouse is able to overturn and reprogram everything about you, the world might have actually said, if the God of the universe and the person of Jesus is our spouse, then what he's saying right now to you and me, he's saying all the dark things, all the bad things, all the flaws all the insecurities all the things that are going on in your heart that shows that you don't actually trust and love him he sees that and says i know everything about you and i still love you in fact i love you now more than i've ever loved you before if you knew that you know what that would do to you that doesn't just reprogram you that redeems you that renews you that completely remakes you and that is what's going to make your heart sing at the end of the day we'll be able to sing in some of the darkest times. Taste that beauty that he sees in you, and it'll make you see his beauty too. When you see that you are his riches, he will be your riches as well. And so this low level, non-clinical anxiety that I think a lot of us has, has increased in our lives, the reason why we feel that ultimately is because we're picturing a future without Jesus in it. We're That anxiety is because we're thinking, we're wondering, how might it turn out? And we don't know, but we're not seeing Jesus there. But our future always looks worse when we do that. Because we're not imagining that Jesus is is in our future too. He's already there. He's actually in the future before we we even are. And that that means he'll be in that future issue. So process your anxiety with the knowledge of an assured future with him. You don't know how tomorrow's going to go, but you know what? You know that he'll be with you tomorrow. You do. And we know that because of the person of Jesus. The imagery here is everywhere mother, city, brothers, sisters, children. Paul is saying, This family is now your home. And your current residing place is not your home. It's the people, however disconnected that we are, the church, we're together in this. We're walking through this together as a part that we are, no matter how distant we are. So, last thing to say is this Jesus died on the cross. Because you were the love of his life. He made you home, and so now we can be home with him. And if he really is our home now, you wouldn't just sit around. You're going to go out. You're going to do it in appropriate ways, in the right ways, but not because you have to. Now, because you want to. Delight in the one who delights in you, and then burst out into song. Here's one I will arise and go to Jesus. He will embrace me in his arms, in the arms of my dear Savior. Oh, there are 10,000 charms. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we can't do anything ultimately on our own. We're, we're, we're realizing that. I think we've created this world of self-actualization. And we, even I confess as a pastor before, those who are watching, those who are listening, that I don't know. I, I, that I myself... I've done the same thing. I, I, I had lulled myself into a false sense of security that wasn't in you. I thought it was in you, but it wasn't. And the truth is, Father, the insecurity now is showing me that I need to rely on you more. And yet, the amazing thing is it's our, you were already there before we even knew we needed to get there. Thank you so much. You tell us to rejoice, to sing, to sing. O barren woman, help us to no longer operate on the paradigms that we that we were operating on, but to be the church out in the world in powerful ways. We praise things in your name, Amen.
0: Thanks for tuning into our church's podcast. We pray that it can serve as a resource for you as you continue processing aspects of Christianity and growing in your faith. We hope you'll subscribe to our podcast, and we invite you to join us for worship on Sunday. We're located at the corner of West 64th Street and Central Park West. More details can be found on our website, lincolnsquare.redeemer.com. Thanks again for listening to the LSQ Podcast.